You know, when you come to that first chapter of Ephesians and you think about where we are in the text, we just sang songs that reflected chapter one. We're found in him. Great are you, Lord. You can't get to chapter one without going, God, you're just awesome. You are really, really awesome, and you are really, really great, and you're really, really good, because grace means that we don't deserve it, but God, by his grace, gives it to us as a gift, that salvation, and then all of these things that Paul has been telling us about how great God is, is because of his son, Jesus Christ, and the work that he did on the cross of Calvary, and we find ourselves in him that dominant prepositional phrase in him. So if you sang this morning, it was because you were in him. And when you're in him, you can't help but get what's in here out here with your lips. Even if you can't sing and hit a note, you can still sing because you're singing to the one who knows everything, who's got everything under control. And we are gonna try to move this morning from information in our head to our heart. What powerful worship that just sets up the message. It's kind of like the runner's already on third base. All I have to do is lay a bunt. You just pray I can bunt. That's all you need to pray is that I can just lay a bunt down. And it's not about me, it's about God. It's like the song says, it's not to us, it's to him. So we thank him for his work. If you're visiting with us, we're in a study in the book of Ephesians. We welcome you. We love you here at Sagemont. We uh, thank you so much that you chose this place today to hear God's word. He knew you would be here before the foundation of the world. We didn't, but he did. And so that you're here, we're gonna teach you from God's word. And as I teach, I seek to be taught. As I preach to you, I preach to myself. I need this as much as you do. And so great is God, and Paul's gonna pray this morning. He's gonna say a prayer, and hoping the Ephesian believers can take the information from their head that he's been talking about, and it go directly to their heart. That's what he's gonna talk about, that God might somehow turn the lights on in their life. There's a story about in uh, 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge that was being uh, assembled and erected was uh, something that many people found their death as they were building this bridge in 1937. The winds were so high that the story goes that 23 people, as they were building and working and serving and doing the things that they needed to do to get this bridge to connect, they fell to their death into the icy cold waters because there wasn't anything to secure them. There was not a safety net. So they built the first half of the bridge, and all the engineers and the workers and the management came back and said, you know, we need to have another plan. This isn't working. So for the second half of the bridge, they put in a safety net. Ten people still fell, but they didn't fall to their death because there was a safety net there. And they worked twice as fast because when you feel safe and you feel secure, you're able to move forward with hope. And that's what happened at the Golden Gate Bridge. They, they finished it faster than when they started because of the safety net. And what has happened in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, is Paul's given us a safety net. Last week we ended there where he talked about your salvation is sealed. It's secure in Jesus Christ. Our salvation is as secure as God is strong. And I'm telling you, he is awfully strong. And we're even going to see that in the text today. So you don't have anything to worry about. You're safe and secure in him. If you've trusted Jesus as your savior, you can live with the hope of the calling, which Paul's gonna talk about today. So we're starting in verse 15. We're gonna go to verse 19. 
I actually was going to go all the way to the end of the first chapter, but I decided to take a slowdown class last week, and you'll be thankful for that. And so I'm going to slow down, I'm going to try, and I'm going to take these verses and I want us to break open the truth of God's Word and let Him, by the power of His Holy Spirit, God, the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that He would illuminate the Scripture to us, that He would be our teacher today. I just wanted to know, tell you that I, I'm, I'm trying to represent the contemporary worship service very well. Um, because last night I was eating at a restaurant and the first thing I did at the restaurant was uh, ask the waitress, um, what, if, what is the cutoff for like senior adults? What's the age limit? And she said, 55, sir. I said, I looked at my wife and uh, the two other people we were with that will go nameless. They're in this church. They may be in this service, but they were there and they said, oh, we meet that criteria. And I said, well, I don't meet it yet. So um, she said, 50, 54 won't cut it. And we do check IDs here. And I said, you must be under legalism, not under grace. I get that. <laughs> but anyway, we went through the whole meal. Um, I didn't really know who she was other than her name, and she told us her name. She did a wonderful job. At the end of the service, she said, uh, you know, Brother John and Jim Hastings come in here a lot. And my head just, I just went like this. I said, oh, God. And she said, uh, and you're the new contemporary pastor. And I thought, I regret and take back everything I said about the senior adult menu. But I just want you to know I'm thinking of you out there. I'm thinking of you out there. So we're in this thing together. We can sink or swim together. It's okay. So here's what Paul says. Let's look at the text because it's so beautiful. And you remember the flow of the context. It's just flowing and the context is flowing. So we have all these blessings that are ours because we're in Christ. Because we have all these blessings because of him, because God the Father had a plan, God the Son executed the plan, and the Holy Spirit seals our salvation and is our purchased possession to the praise of his glory. That's where we left off. Now look at verse 16 or 15. Therefore, the reason that the word therefore is there is because it's there for a reason, and it ties everything that Paul just said. Therefore, let me put a bow around this. I also, loan us this the Ephesians, I heard of your faith. How did he hear of it? He's in prison because when good news happens, it travels. He's behind bars and he hears somehow of their faith. Notice the text. I heard of your faith, not faith in faith. Notice what the text says, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week, that faith must have the right object. When you have faith, you wholly depend. You wholly trust in Jesus. You lean into him, and when you trust him as your savior, you find out that you exchange your old life for his new life, and you have faith, not in faith, you have faith in the object of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that I heard something, and I heard about your faith. I heard about the experience that you had in your life with the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard about the fact that you were in him. That's what Paul's saying. And then he says, I heard about your faith. That's one side of the triangle. Then the other side would be, and your love for all the saints. Now listen carefully. Real faith produces a real love for all the saints. Circle the word all. The word all in the Greek means all, all people, all saints. You know, Christians get real uh, picky on who they want to love. And Paul says, one of, the, one of the proofs that you're in the faith and you have faith, notice what the text says, in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that you'll have a love for all the saints. 
You won't pick and choose the people you'll love because here's what God says. I put my love in your heart. And now that you are abiding in me and you have my love in you, it's Christ in you, then Christ in you loves all people. So he immediately begins to break down barriers and walls of people that you maybe didn't love in the past. But because you have real faith, real faith really loves the saints. You know, Brother John shares a lot of statistics, and they're good ones, about churches that are absolutely coming apart from the seams. And they have churches, there are churches that have 2,000 seats, and they have 50 people on a Sunday morning. And they're all over the country. Baptisms are down. Membership is down. All these things. And I'll tell you, I really believe it's because this issue right here. Because most people in the church, they use the church as their agenda to move something forward in life. But it's not God's agenda. And so they'll come to business meetings if you have a little Baptist background, and they'll show up. They won't even come to church, but they'll come on a Wednesday night. And they've never been to church, and they'll bring something up. And Paul says, listen, when God begins to do something through you by faith, you have a love for everybody. You see, if we can love people inside these walls, evangelism will flow outside of these walls. But the reason that most churches aren't reaching anybody for Christ is there's no love inside the building. And when there's no love inside the building, you don't have a message on the outside. It's amazing how God says, you get it right first in here, you let me do a work in you. And then you, whatever your prejudices are, you lay them down at the foot of the cross because we're all equal, and you let me produce a love inside of you, and that love will flow outside of this building. The church has left the building, and thankfully, we're in a church where God is moving and he's doing things outside these walls, and he's the greatest missionary. Jesus is the greatest missionary who's ever lived, and he lives in me. Faith in the text, the Lord Jesus Christ, and a love for all the saints. I uh, was in a church, uh, I'm afraid, I don't want to give you the name because you'll, you could Google it, but they didn't love very well on the inside. They didn't. It was a predominantly white church. Uh, I was the pastor of this church. It was in a small rural area, and an African-American pastor called me and said, we would like to borrow your facility because we actually had the biggest church around as far as building-wise. And he said, I'd like to know if we could have a funeral at your church. I said, absolutely. We became good friends, and we talked, and I said, hey, we don't even lock the doors on the church. It's a rural community. You just come in anytime. I'll have somebody to do the sound. He said, we've got everything taken care of. And uh, all of a sudden, man, the parking lot is full like on a Tuesday morning. I've got people calling me. I've got deacons from my church calling me. What's going on down at the church? What's going on? They said, well, well, I said, there's a funeral. And it's some pastor friend of mine. He needed the facility. And I said, yes, isn't that a great thing? Isn't it amazing how God's going to use our facility? He's ministering and meeting a need, and we're able to love all the saints. You know what they said? I promise you, if I'm lying, I'm dying. We didn't vote on that. Here was my response. In grace, in love, and in firmness. I said, we don't vote on what God's already approved. A love for all the saints. 
Thankfully, this church is seen as a beacon, a lighthouse. Man, we got PISD. We've got people from all walks of life come in here. And we realize that real faith really produces a love. And so we don't look at people based on their color, their skin, their background, their history. We look at people through the eyes of Jesus. And Jesus says, when I come to live in you, I give you a heart that understands that all people are valuable. And if you'll focus on me, I'll begin to love people through you. So may this church always be a beacon of light in this community. And the love we have for the saints, let me tell you something, that produces the evangelism outside the walls. Because if we don't love people here, we can't love them out there. So in these small little rural churches, the, the, the community knows what's really going on inside. They say, thank you, but no thank you. Don't invite me. Paul says, the message of God's grace is powerful. It's tremendous. Notice what he's going to say next here. So he's talking about faith in Jesus, the, the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints. By the way, let's just pause here. Is there anybody that you don't love? You know, about time you tell God that you don't love that person, he'll drop another brother in your life or sister that you can't love as well. God, I can't love them. You know the best prayer you can say? God, I can't love them. God, I don't even like them. And God says, okay, you surrender to me. I'll produce a love through you. And when you love them, you'll even be surprised because that's what my love does. It blows you away. It's not you loving them. You've been trying for years to love that person, but now Christ in you begins to love, and you step back and go, God, you go get them. It's amazing. I actually do love them in you. That's what Paul's saying. Now, this is a prayer of Paul for them to take this wonderful knowledge they have in their head, verses 3 through 14, and get it down in their heart. Get it deep down in their heart. Notice what he says in the text. And then he says, do not cease to give thanks, verse 16, for you. So real faith produces a real love which overflows in thankfulness. And Paul is in prison, mind you. This is where he's at. He's saying basically, if I can love people inside this Roman prison, certainly Christ can produce a love through you with people that don't divide us by bars. That's what he's saying here. It's amazing if you look at the text. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. That's the first part. And then he prays the prayer. That the God, verse 17, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom. Now what that means here is greater insight. Now that Christ comes to live in you, may God the Father give you a greater insight. If you lack wisdom, it comes from God. And he'll give you a greater insight. The borders will be open in how God does his work by wisdom. It's not book smart, it's wisdom, and wisdom comes from God, and it comes from his heart, and it comes by spending time in his word. So he says, I pray for the spirit of wisdom, greater insight. Second thing is, and a revelation in the knowledge of him. The revelation is the divine unveiling of those things which were hidden. Remember, we talked about that. Revelation is that which was concealed and it was hidden before. But now it's been revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray for a spirit of wisdom, great insight, and the revelation of God that would be fulfilled in you. That's what he's talking about. And then it says in the text, verse 17, in the knowledge of him. Circle the word knowledge. The word knowledge means experiential knowledge. It means don't talk about this but you know it by experience. Not facts about God, but actually experiencing and knowing God. 
I grew up here, so I know what Shipley Donuts taste like. I have not only seen them, I have experienced them. First thing I did when I moved back here, I know Harvey hit, but we ate Shipley Donuts. I'm telling you, it was good. And I understand there's other places too. But where we didn't have a Shipley Donut is when we lived in Florida. So I had to get to know another donut. It was a Krispy Kreme sign. And there would be this red, red uh, uh, conveyor belt would be kind of lit up, and you'd see the icing be dripping from the road, and you'd see these donuts be dropping on this icing. So I decided I'm going to move from knowing about this donut to knowing this donut. This is the word Paul uses. So I did something. I went and called, it was 1 800 4 Crispy. I called the headquarters. Uh, North Carolina, that's facts about Krispy Kreme. And then after I got one 800 Krispy, I actually got somebody on the line. I said, tell me why I should have your donut. I grew up in Houston. I, uh, I know what a Shipley donut tastes like, but I don't know anything about your donut. They said, go experience it. Go try it. We can't tell you all that's in it, but we, I know what's in it. It's called lard. I got that. And that's what I look like after I eat your donuts. So what happened was we were in Florida and we saw the uh, uh, hot donuts now sign flashing. This is a true story. And when I say it's a true story, it means it's really not. It's a true story. And there were people, it was raining. They had umbrellas everywhere. And they had these umbrellas and we waited in the line and we moved from knowing, we got all the way to the to inside Krispy Kreme, we took the dozen donuts, we went back into the van, and we devoured those donuts in our van, and we moved from knowing about that donut to knowing that donut. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know what Paul says? I want you to grow in the knowledge and wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of him. In other words, experiencing Christ you today can experience Jesus Christ in your life. He can come into your life. He can save you from your sins. He can save you from yourselves. He can put a new heart in your life. He can take all the old things, that all your sin, and he'll remove it as far as the east is from the west. And you can plant your feet on the solid rock today with the knowledge of knowing who he is. God loves you that much, and he proved it by sending his son. So Paul says... I pray that you would grow in wisdom and revelation that only can come from God in the knowledge of him. And then he gives three pillars of truth here. Three pillars of truth. Here's what he says in verse uh, 18. That the eyes of your heart or the eyes of your understanding, we were singing songs about this today, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, it means it's already been enlightened because of what Christ has done for you, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That's pillar number one. And the word for know here is not experiential know, it's facts, like two plus two equals four. Paul's saying the first thing you need to know and the first pillar you need to hang your hat on is that you need to know the hope of his calling. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful word. Now, what do we know about hope? We know that hope is not what we see. Hope is the opposite of despair. So when you have hope, 
You see beyond what you're looking at to a place that puts you in a position where you know that God is in control. Hope moves you beyond what you see to what you don't see, but when God calls you to salvation in Jesus Christ, you've moved into hope. You've moved out of despair, and you've moved into hope. Wouldn't it be great today if someone in this room received the hope of their calling? Wouldn't it be beautiful if you knew what it was like to be called by God? You're sitting here listening to me and you're going, but I feel empty. I feel like I have despair in my life. I feel depressed. I feel hopeless. I'm telling you, when you know the calling of your hope that it comes in Jesus Christ, he'll move you from this life, which was your old life, into the new kingdom and a new life with a whole new set of rules. And you'll find yourself being hopeful in the midst of very difficult challenges. Paul says, pillar number one is the hope of his calling. That's what the text says. Now watch this. Three things about hope. First of all, what Paul's been teaching us here is my past, here's one of the things about hope, my past no longer defines me. Your past no longer defines you. If you're in Christ today, if you've received Jesus as your Savior, your past no longer defines you. That's what Paul's been telling us in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, that our past no longer has to define us. Some of you have guilt and shame and feelings about your past, and you can't get past your past. So many people live in their past instead of looking forward to the future. I can assure you today, if you want to get past your past and you don't want your past to define you, receive the free gift of salvation and be a byproduct of the cross and you'll no longer be a, a person of the past. You will live in the future calling of Jesus Christ and your past will no longer define you. My past used to define me and the devil will bring up your past and you and I have a memory, and we'll remember all those things that we did. And God says, I remember them no more. And it's not that God has a memory problem. He chooses not to bring up our past because the hope of his calling is when we receive Christ, old things have passed away, and behold, everything is new, and that's the hope of the new calling I have. So don't tell me that I have to live in my past. I can get past my past because of the future hope that I have in the Lord Jesus and the power presently that he lives in my life. Are you dealing with your past today? Are some of you haunted by your past? The guilt, the shame, the disappointment, and you say, I just can't forgive myself for what I did. Let me tell you something. Nowhere in this book does the Bible tell you to forgive yourself because you're not that powerful. Here's the one who's powerful. God says, I'll forgive your past, and I will put my spirit in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you can go free from this moment. You don't have to live in the past. Freeman, quit trying to forgive yourself. I can only do what I can do if you'll yield to me and give me everything. Some of you can be free from your past today just by receiving the gift, the hope of his calling is salvation in him. So it helps me. No longer am I defined by my past. But that's not the, all that hope is. The hope is for present day. The hope is for me to live in his power right now. So we have a power to live in. We have a past that no longer defines us. But we have a power. Peter calls it a living hope. He calls it a living hope. It's a daily hope. 
You know when you go on vacation, they have an app now, by the way, for those of you that go on vacation, and it's a countdown to how many days until you're on vacation. And so what this basically is, is it's a countdown because you're living in the experience of the hope that you're going to go on vacation, and that's going to happen in the future, but you need a daily reminder of the countdown clock so that you can make it through the day that you're living in. Now listen to me. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him. And so I know that my past doesn't define me. I know that my future power is there because of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I am living not just in the hope of today. I'm living in the hope of tomorrow because I know that my future is secure. You know why? Because God's secure. He's secure. So the hope of our calling is this, that we're living in the experience of hope and peace. Look what the text says. That you may know fact Pillar number one, the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. So, so it's like this. You know, I'm grieving with hope. You, you know my story. My wife and I, we're grieving with hope. But I know I'm grieving with hope because it's not what I see, it's what I don't see. I place my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's going to get me on the other side of this grief either now or one day in eternity. He's going to get me on the other side. But it's the hope of his calling. And so I have hope today in my life because of him. It's not because I'm strong. Someone said, you're strong. I'm broken. I'm broken, man. I am messed up. But God is so good and so gracious to me in the hope of his calling in my life. By his grace, I can stand up here and through my broken heart, communicate to you whatever you're going through. There's hope for you. There's hope for you. And the hope is not found in a church. It's not found in religion. It's found in Christ. And then one day, when I lay hold of that future hope, that's when God's going to lay hold of his inheritance. That's pillar number two. Notice what the text says. Oh, it gets good. Here it says this. What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance? Read it again. What are the riches, verse 18, of the hope, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? In verses 3 through 14, we talked about our inheritance in Christ. He's not talking about that. He's talking about his inheritance. You know who his inheritance is? It's me and you. Oh, do you know what that says about God? God says, Freeman, you're valuable to me. You're a prized possession. So one day when we lay hold of the hope, the, the, he will lay hold of his inheritance, that future hope. And God says, I value you now. You're my treasure. And the reason that God values you and the reason that you're valuable is because of the price that he was willing to pay to purchase you back from sin. We learned about that last week. We learned about that in the word redemption, in the word redeemed. It means to buy back a slave from sin. And so God the Father says, you are so valuable to me, Freeman. You are my inheritance. It's a beautiful thing when you start to fathom the value of God that he has placed on our lives because of what Jesus has done for us. He doesn't love us because of our performance. He loves us because of Christ's performance on the cross. And when he said, it is finished, that's exactly what he meant. 
You're valuable because of what Jesus has done. And you, Freeman, Tomlin, are my inheritance. And one day I'll lay hold of you. Right now I've laid hold of him in salvation. But one day he'll lay hold of me. Some of you say, I don't feel very valuable. I don't feel very good about myself. That's you talking. That's not God talking. It's not. Some people say, well, you know what? Uh, Jesus, he paid it all on Calvary's cross, and he did. So how much is owed when something is paid in full? Say it with me. Nothing is owed. And do you know there are people that are still trying to pay God back for the sins that they have had in the past? They're trying to pay God back, and they're working hard to try to pay God back. And God says, by my grace, through Jesus Christ, it's paid in full. And you don't owe me anything. You can enjoy a relationship with me. You don't pay me back. It's been paid in full. Now worship me out of fullness. Worship me out of being whole. Worship me out of enjoying who I am because I am your inheritance. You understand what Paul is saying here? God values your, he treasures you. You could say it like this if you're taking notes. We have a rich inheritance in Christ, but he has a rich inheritance in us. God gave Christ to us, that's our inheritance. God gave us to Christ, that's his inheritance. Don't walk around moaning and groping down and saying, I'm just just not any good, I'm not any good. No, listen, you're so valuable, you're so precious, you're so valued that God says, lift up your head, you belong to me, and I'm going to do something, I'm going to work out every bit of work I need to work out in your life. If you'll cooperate with me, and you'll surrender to me, and you'll yield to me, I am working on your life, and I only do that with my children. Pillar number two, we are his inheritance. For someone this morning, you you really feel low, and you feel down, and you feel depressed, and you're talking about all these things that you think used to be about you, but now you're in Christ, you need to lift up your head and say, wait a minute, I'm new. I may not feel like this, but the fact is, he did this work in me, and I'm going to trust what he says over what I say. So that's what he says. Now, here's the third thing. Then he gives us a power to live. Here's what the text says. Notice what he says here. The end of 18, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance? And it's in the saints. That's me and you. And then verse 19. And what is his exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? So he talks about a power that's available to us. It's amazing. Let me give you some words here in verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness? He just heaps word upon word, exceeding greatness of this power. Not not only do you respond to the hope of his calling, which is in Christ, it's a a calling that doesn't define my past. It's not defined by my past anymore. It gives me present power of hope in today, but also a future hope. And then he says, and then you're my inheritance. And then he says, now here's the third pillar. I'm going to give you the gift of my power in your life. Does anybody need power? Let me tell you what kind of power you need, not your power. You need God's power operating in and through you. So he gives three words or four words here that actually mean something different, but all talk about the exceeding greatness of his power. Here's what it says here. Look at the text. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? 
That's his power. That's the word uh, dunamis, dynamite. It's, it's explosive power. It's the kind of power when, when dynamite goes off and it's explosive and, de- and debris settles everywhere and we go, wow, that was awesome. That was awesome. Let me explain this to you. My friend owned a tree farm in Mississippi and the beavers would dam up the water flow that there was water that drained through this tree farm and they would dam up uh, <clears throat> this flow of the water and so these these beavers would get in there and they would build these dams and if they the water stayed on those trees it would affect their business in a negative way and so my friend said you know what we're gonna have to blow up some beaver dams are you kidding me this is a true story too and so uh, <clears throat> So my friend went down on a four-wheeler. I wasn't there, but I heard this is a good story. It brings home this point. And so they went down. They removed the beavers first, for those of you that are animal lovers, just so you know that. I said that. So they removed the beavers. They trapped them. And then they put this dynamite, sticks of dynamite, because the water was being dammed up. The water couldn't flow like the water is supposed to flow. So there needed to be power that was exerted, dynamite power right here, so you could blow up this beaver dam and the water would flow again. And so they took some, uh, some wires and connected them to the battery receptacle and boom, oh, it goes the beaver dams there. Every, woods flying everywhere, trees, everything. And all of a sudden, the water begins to flow. Do you see the picture of what Paul's saying here? That, that the power that God gives you is a power that's greater than yours. It's a power that has the ability, when your life is stopped up with sin, when my life is stopped up and the flow of the river is not there, the, the living waters are not there, they're not flowing, that God, when you apply God's power to your life and it explodes in your life, then that river that's supposed to flow begins to flow and there you become a conduit of his love and you become a conduit of his grace and you'll realize God's power in your church. You'll realize God's power in your marriage. You'll realize God's power in your job. You'll realize God's power when you love the saints because God's power is meant to flow and oftentimes sin stops up the reservoir of God's power. So we apply what the text says. And the exceeding greatness of his power, look at the text, toward us who believe. Okay, faith is leaning into God. Faith is trusting God. But belief is when you accept the reality of that which you say you have faith in. And you put all of your weight and all of your personhood in belief. And you accept that and you receive that. For somebody today, when you trust Christ as your Savior, when you have faith in Him and you believe, it's a belief that moves toward Him. And what you're saying when you believe in Him, you're saying that everything else I have tried to put my faith in has not worked, but I'm going to put my faith into the Lord Jesus Christ. And you believe. Notice what the text says. For toward those of us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. This means this is God's energy. This is the energy of God. This is an operative energy that happens in your life. When you begin to allow God to illuminate his power in your life and you begin to allow God to break those chains of darkness in your life and you allow that river to flow, then you'll find out that there's a working energy that you have. And so instead of getting tired, you'll get 
fired up about serving God because God creates an energy in your life and he creates an energy in my life. We should get more energy out of serving Christ than anybody else because we have his power in our lives. So it's not like, would you serve? Would you serve here? We need people to serve. No, listen, you already have the greatest servant who lives in you with the greatest power who lives in you. And now it's a working power that allows you not to do the ministry. It allows him to do the ministry through you. If you do the ministry, you're going to wear out, burn out, rust out. If he does the ministry, then it's a powerful ministry, and it's a working ministry, and it's an active ministry, and it's an eternal ministry. And it either, it either is done in the flesh, which will burn one day, wood, hay, and stubble, or it's done in the energy and the power of his spirit. And God can do that in your life. He can do that in my life. He is so good, he is so gracious, and he is so powerful. Notice what the text says. The working of this power. Then it says, and I'm coming home toward the end here. The working of his mighty power. So his power is dunamis power, and it's an energy, and it's a power that works in us, and it's mighty. It's a mighty power. This is a different word for power. It's a mighty power. It's a strong power. One of my friends, Lane Dyke, some of you may know him. He's with the Lord. Lane Dyke and I were friends. We talked ministry when he got called into the ministry and the Lord got a hold of his heart. And he went to Baylor University and he was roommates with Cody Carlson, who was the backup quarterback to Warren Moon when the Oilers were playing the Chiefs in the playoffs. I said, I'm a friend of Lane Dyke. I'm going to get a chance. I'm going to ask him, can we get to the practice field? This is when they practiced there in Houston. It was right, I don't know, near Fannin. And the Oilers were practicing. He says, you want to go with me to the practice field? I said, sure I do. This is before security. He had a pass. He has had a pass. So here I am. I'm going to be in front of mighty power. I walked in with Lane. Lane's pretty stocky. I'm pretty tall. We, he said, just act like you know what you're doing. I said, that is difficult. <laughs> and we walked right in. We walked straight in. To the, to the Oilers training facility. They were finishing up practice. Warren Moon walked right by me. I didn't even know who he was. I've seen him in a football uniform. He was just a small little guy, 6'1", but he was big like this. And I said, Lane, that's Warren Moon. He said, it sure is. And there's Bruce Matthews, and there's Sean Jones, and there's Chris Dishman. And so I walked into the locker room with Lane, and there's Cody Carlson. He was our out. So we went in. He was our in and our out. So we went in, and I was amidst inherent strength. These guys had inherent strength. Inherent in them was strength. I looked around. There was strength. Sean Jones was six foot seven with a 12-foot wingspan. He was a defensive end, if you remember. I mean, he just gets you like this and go like this. So I thought when I was looking at this word, and it talks about God and his mighty power. Listen carefully. That's inherent strength. God is inherent strength. He doesn't have to go get strength. He is strength. Do you get that? And guess where he lives? In me. Inherent strength living in me. He doesn't have to go get it. He is strength, and he lives in me. So his mighty power lives in me, and it's working. It's operating. Well, we left because I wanted to see if the Oilers could operate out of the power that I saw in that room, inherent strength. And here came Sunday, 
and they lost. It was pathetic. It's like they didn't show up. I'm still bitter. I can be bitter or I can be better, and I choose to be bitter still. But I started thinking about that. That was inherent strength. And then I look at the last word, and I'll close with this. And then it says in verse 19, according to the working of his mighty power. And you know what that word power means? It means the ability to do. It means the ability to execute. It means to be enabled with an ability that you don't have. Do you see what Paul just shared with us in one verse? Look at the text. He says here, his power, that's dunamis power, toward us who believe, that's those of us who have trusted Jesus, according to the energy working of his mighty inherent power, and the word power there means the ability to execute. Where the oilers failed, God never fails. He always executes his power through an individual who is willing to submit to him and surrender to him. I got good news for you today. You can have that kind of power in your life. There would be no reason for you to leave this building today without knowing that you can have a greater power in your life than yourself and to know that your sins can be forgiven and to know that you can believe in him and he will come into your life and he will be with you and not only be the hope of your calling today, he will be the hope of your calling tomorrow. And one day when the tug of the cord pulls on your life and my life, he'll lay hold of his inheritance because heaven is our home. But I can be in heaven on the way to heaven based on my faith in him. God says, that's how powerful I am. And that power is available to you. Would you like that power this morning? It's not found in joining a church. It's found in joining Jesus. The Bible says you should be born again. The Bible says you can receive the free gift of salvation. So I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you a question. What are you waiting for? Everything that God has done, he's done through Jesus, and it's available to you today. All you have to do is receive the gift. The gift's already been paid for. You don't have to work off a debt. You don't work off a debt when the debt's been paid. You go free because of his grace in your life, and you can receive salvation today in him. You can receive the forgiveness of sins. You can have a new life in you. And you can walk out of here and know that your tomorrow is better than your today because God will never take you from something that what he doesn't put you into isn't better than what he took you out of. And when he takes you out of your sin and yourself and your mess and your guilt and your shame and puts you on the solid rock, you can move on Monday morning. You can. God loves you that much. Paul says, I pray that these truths will move from your head down to your heart. Three pillars. Number one was the hope of his calling. Number two, the richness of his inheritance. Number three, a power to live today, which will carry you all the way to your last day in life. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Oh, God is so good. He's so good to us. You know, you chose this morning by your own free will to come to this service. You may not have even known that God was going to meet you right here in this place. He loves you with an everlasting love. He has a plan for your life before the foundation of the world. He already had the plan. So if you today 
would say, you know, Lord Jesus, I really feel empty. I really don't have this hope that the Bible's talking about. I've got good news for you today. You can receive the God of all hope, the God of all strength, the God of all peace will come into your heart. If you invite him to come in, maybe he's been tugging on your heart and moving in your life and people that you have come in contact with have kind of dropped a little seed. But today God says, hey, you know what? You just need to step into the deep water because that's where I am. And if you'll receive Jesus as your Savior, he'll wash your sins away. Would you like to do that this morning? Would you like to have your past forgiven, your future secure, and your today walking in the power of his Spirit? Receive Christ as your Savior. Just pray a prayer like this in your heart. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. God, I feel so dirty. I feel so lonely. I feel like I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying to get rid of sin on my own. When your word says, God, you'll get rid of the sin and you'll come into my life. Would you receive the free gift of salvation? Would you just say, yes, Lord, repent of your sin. Ask Jesus to come in. And you can leave this place absolutely free today. If that's you, we would invite you to go to our Connection Center, which is right as you exit out these doors into the middle. There's glass doors. There's people on either side that will welcome you in there. And you can just say, hey, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, or I'm interested in possibly joining this church, or I have a prayer need today. I just need someone to pray with me. We have people that love you care for you. They're there today. For those of us in this room that are believers, we have trusted Christ as our Savior. I pray that God would take the truths from our head and move them into our heart today in the hope of His calling in our lives. Father, would you rivet the truth of your word in our life that we could walk out of this worship center differently than when we came in and we can depend upon you to do through us what we can never do on our own. May you be gracious to us. May you be good to us. And may the next time we're asked to serve or we're asked to pray about what to give, that we would just say, yes, Lord, it's your power in our lives. And you'll, you'll supply the need. And we trust you for that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.